Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hey everyone, welcome back to Sharp Cuts. My name is Garrett May alongside Josh Nickel. As always, today we've got special guest James Battiston on the show. Welcome, Batty, to Sharp Cuts. First time, I can't believe we haven't had you on. Are you excited? What are you expecting to get out of the show today? Honestly, I'm surprised you didn't start with a big block Batty scream right there. That was honestly how I thought the introduction would go down, but... We can save that for well, another. You got to actually make a big block. So as soon as you kind of counter one of our points, you're going to get a big block, buddy, and then we'll really Excellent. be into things. Okay, so Excellent. welcome to the show. Okay. Thanks for coming. Great uh, energy already. Hopefully, we're still friends after the end of the episode. Um, as always, just a reminder to our listeners out there: we are on YouTube, Sharp Cuts Volleyball on YouTube. Hit us up there; you can see our beautiful faces. If you don't know what Baddie looks like, you can take a look at him. I think he's looking pretty good these days, but you can be the judge. Hit us up in the comments below don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast uh, app as well hit us up with all that good stuff instagram whatever you name it all right that's my spiel josh you're leading the show today what are we starting with where are we getting into it because i'm antsy and ready to go well just a quick point garrett i have it from a very good source that batty doesn't actually have to earn a block to get a big block batty because jake <laughs> would just do it on a tuesday at Downsview, so we can throw that out anytime you want he doesn't have to earn it wait wait jake would do that like somebody else other than me would just say that on a non-block that's not okay that's unacceptable i think i think gabe broaki would also just drop those at random times yeah that's unacceptable and those guys need to atone for whatever nonsense they're spouting there okay you gotta earn a big block to get a big block celebration what are we talking about here anyways that was that was my quick pause there because i yeah i've heard it See, now i'm gabe pissed though josh now you just just digged it at me getting me ready to go that you, you did that on purpose well, let's let's start with this one, Garrett, because I think, you know, everyone on the show is getting a little bit older and, and guys might remember you guys as players. But now we're all coaches. We've all shifted into the coaching realm here, including Batty, who's going to be you know, coaching club this year, Garrett, which can be stressful. There's a lot of stuff going on. So we wanted to really touch on just player development overall. But Batty brought up a, a good question before the show is coaching athletes multiple years. So, Garrett, you're kind of in the camp where you played for your dad your whole club career, where me being an OVA guy, I've spoke to club directors and some clubs have a rule where you can only have the same team for two years because they want the athlete to cycle out they want them to have a different voice they want all that good stuff so batty maybe we'll start with you what are you looking forward to the club season this year and do you want a team from 14 to 18 you or do you see value in the, in the coach changing uh i'm honestly just hoping there is a season this year um so let's like you know fingers crossed kind of hope that we can that get that going uh, and we don't have to wait till january like a lot of the post-secondary schools uh, are having to do uh, yeah, I'm in that same boat where I don't, I don't really know if you should be head coaching necessarily a team for multiple seasons. I mean, well, exceptions many, being exceptions being what they are though. So like, honestly, I think two, uh, two is kind of like the top of what you should with exceptions. Like obviously Keith Wozniak and I have actually had this conversation like years ago and Keith looked at me and said, you're telling me that you don't think I can coach kids multiple years <laughs> or like, or like John may even where if you have reached a certain level, you can, you know, you can change your coaching style and what you're able to give an athlete 
as the athlete progresses where, you know, I don't know if there's enough coaches that are out there that can coach a kid at 14 and then still have anything to give at 18. Well, I mean, so maybe they, maybe they hop down to a system right here. I mean, you got three prime examples of human beings who are able to do that. Don't we right here? I mean, come on. I would think so. I would put us in, in that boat, Garrett, but I'm curious with <laughs> yes. your dad. Yes, okay, nice. <laughs> did the message change? Like, what, do you look back, do you think, does 14 you feel different than 17 you, or were the timeouts the same, were the drills the same? Like, is that maybe the trap that coaches fall into, is Batty's point that the, the game progresses and things change, so the coach has to change. So if you're going to follow this team through four or five seasons, what what is the long-term plan, or what are you deliberately changing as the athletes get older? Yeah, I mean, that's a really intellectual question. And I think the type of thing we we really ha- we try to avoid on this show, Josh, like you bring in smarts and intelligence to this coaching discussion. <laughs> I don't know what made you think that was OK. So watch it. Um, but, but yeah, I think for me, I think as a player, though, Batty, and maybe you can relate like you remember those days. You remember you as a player coaching yourself, kind of, especially on the beach as you go year to year and you always know where you're at and where you need to take things to the next level. So if you went through that, you got to think that there's some capacity there as a coach to understand that when they're taking athletes through, right? Like, so my dad, for example, yeah, coached us all the way through, but he, I mean, that guy always has a lot to give. So, I mean, there's not like he ever has a lacking of things to give and to throw at you. But I think he also understood that as we got better, we were facing new challenges and could frame the messaging, could frame the drills, could challenge us in new and interesting ways as we became more capable, right? So, for example, a classic one is like, you know, when do you start hitting quicks? So, like, you know, 13U, 14U, 15U, some teams, maybe in that age, maybe earlier, maybe later, you start hitting quicks instead of meter balls out of the middle. Okay, well, then that, what, what do you do the next year then? Well, you're running shoots then? When are you doing that? Like, when are you adding these pieces, I think, just at a basic level? Makes it, and, and I think people who played can understand that a little bit more than people who maybe didn't go through that. Yeah. I think also too, there's like, there's all the things like obviously having played high level, uh, for yourself, you know, that if you coach an 18, you boys team, there's a lot of things that you as someone who has a high level of volleyball and high level IQ can teach an 18, you kid that your skills are wasted on at 15, you, because you can't, you can't teach them all these instinctive things that you're seeing and viewing. So like, so that that you I can think probably 15 you and progress, but like there's also certain things that at 18 you you kind of hope that you have a coach who can give those kind of insights. Yeah, no, I hear uh, what which you're is saying. what I like. What I like about being 18 you and 17 you is you get kids that are needing less technical coaching and needing more game thought coaching. Yeah. Which when you start at 14, some people are thinking. I'm going to just teach them technique for four years. And when they get to the top, they're just like, that's all I got. So I do get your point there. And I think it leads into the question of crappy coaches, which I'm always about here on sharp cuts and just burying coaches, because I think your point is like, Hey, it's if a coach has a style, it may work for a certain age and definitely not for another. And it becomes very difficult for some of them to change styles. I can definitely think of some coaches in my mind right now who, for example, love to get into like the tactics of the game and really get into like, hey, move here, block here, do this. But if you're coaching at 13, you say when it's like triple ball or you're tossing the ball in or like you're barely keeping alive, it's bump, bump, bump. It's like, well, that's not a great fit. <laughs> like it just doesn't make sense. And on the converse, like like if you're t- talking about like platform technique at university, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Like who gives a shit? 
These people are stopping playing potentially in two years. Like you don't need to talk about the damn platform. Sorry, did I get a little triggered there for a second? You, you'd hope you'd hope not at university. But, but yes, you never know. But you get it. You never I get know. your point. Yeah. So but I don't think the solution is necessarily to say, hey, you can't coach a group of athletes or you shouldn't coach a group of athletes for more than X number of years. Like I think that's kind of a band-aid. Now we are a fan of Band-Aid solutions on this show as well. So maybe that is maybe I should like that. But I I mean I think because the advantage of coaching teams for multiple years is you know what their their strengths and weaknesses are year on year, and you know what pieces Fair. need to come. You know, there's a period of time where you still gotta find that out with a new team. You gotta still find out what the identity of your new team is. Maybe you watch them. So Batty, you get a team at 17, 18 you, you're like, okay, I gotta figure out who this team is. And maybe you do it really well and in a month you're like, all right, I know where we need to go. But maybe you don't. Like maybe you get injury, like you know, stuff happens, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I think Chris brought our Chris, I don't even know who Chris is. Josh, my bad. No, no, Chris, Chris, <laughs> Chris, my my co-host, Chris Nickel. Um. Uh, uh, I'm getting messages come down. I'm in a group chat for tryouts right now, and just names keep popping up at the top. My apologies, uh, but like I think Josh brought up like a really good point of like it's within your club to make decisions, right? Like the I'm I'm in Ottawa, so I'm coaching with them, the Mavs, but they are changing their top-down organizational structure. And one of the things they're looking to do is really start cementing um, coaching language so that you can know coming up, hey, if I explain this to a kid, he should understand it, but also expectations of at this age group, we want to cover these certain things so that you can know what's coming up and everything's been taught. You may not know your athletes, like kind of like what you're saying, but you'll have a basis of knowledge that you should hope to build off of. Yeah. So like you maybe maybe the club doesn't need, doesn't need a two year policy, but like, honestly, if you're in Sudbury, you you probably can't have the same coach change every couple of years because you probably have two. Right. So like, you know, it's just, it's open for debate, but I think it's like, I think it's an interesting thing you can have maybe the head coach at 15, 16 drop down to be assistant at 17, 18. So he can provide that information, but maybe he just doesn't have the skill set to coach it for the next two years as the top dog. Interesting. So your club is saying like, okay, buddy, you have, you have 16 new boys this year at the end of the year, they need to know how to play a five one and they better be hitting C balls and they better be jump floating or whatever the criteria is. There, there are certain things that are possibly coming in, uh, in the next couple of years. And I know that, um, I, there's some other clubs that are probably running similar or will be like, I know Preds, I think they have like ways of doing things that I think are also like very like structured, but also lead to give you the best player development because I mean, that's what, that's what you're there for. I know Garrett wouldn't be drinking the Kool-Aid on this oh, one. Garrett, I, yeah, you, you just feel me I'm like, oh, cringing on the inside. I'm like, oh, well, somebody who's that... not in the gym is telling you what to do in your gym, Garrett. Go yeah. on. How do you feel about that? Get the hell out of my gym is what I would say. Like, don't even look, don't even watch, don't even tell me what to do. Like my favorite thing about coaching is taking a group with varied skills. And, and it's the same thing I loved as a team being a player is like taking what you got and finding a way to make that the best it can be, the most successful it can be. That's part of it, right? Yeah, you do player development, you're trying to get better, but at some level you go into the tournament, you're trying to put what you've got together to get a win. And if the focus is dictated on what we should be doing, then to me, 
and this is maybe from where I come from, you miss opportunities on having some really special things, some unique things, some things that other people don't do, some things that only you can do because you were too focused on, oh, no, this is the structure. This is the path. This is I think Garrett's, Garrett's ego is getting challenged a little bit. I think I you can, you can like see it coming out because it's not. So that's the thing. So the conversation, like we had all these like conversations and we had like these giant phone calls and a lot of coaches are like, don't steal my autonomy. And they're like, no, 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 we don't want to mess with like the way your coaching style is. We just want you to make sure that you've touched base on certain things. So run your team, however you want, as long as there's like certain LTAD things that you're ensuring that they know. So like by the time they get out of 16, they should know how to serve receive and walk in the circle properly and not for some reason when you're the left side with the front row setter, stay in hit right side. Yeah. And I think that's fine. And, and when your comment about Garrett's ego being challenged, we considered renaming this show into Garrett's ego gets challenged. So it just seems weak after. In addition to being the logo, he wants his name on the show. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, there's too much of that around. So thanks for pointing that out for our viewers. I think they knew that. Although if you haven't welcome to sharp cats, first time listener, I mean, glad to have you. Um, thanks for listening anyways, but, uh, I'm surprised the show is not called passing nickels to be honest. <laughs> well, because we want to pass tens, right? You want to pass the dimes, not the five. Although batting in our first meeting here, to, to, to Garrett's saying. defense, he wasn't supposed to be the logo. Dallas wanted to rip off spinning chicklets and just have like a silhouette of a volleyball player, but the, the silhouette of a volleyball player doesn't look that cool. So we just traced Garrett. And I'm thankful. I mean, it was That's fair. you didn't need to put his whole face in with those those glasses he the wears. Glasses are like the classic. <laughs> Classic Garrett made glasses. Hey, Garrett, what glasses did you bring to play this tournament in? Oh, I got these OVA ones from five years ago that are scratched. Yeah, so after Still that, I went into the OVA office and I said, <laughs> hey, do you guys have any more of these glasses? And they gave me a full bin. <laughs> you guys should make sharp cuts glasses and just like spin we them should. off like oh five gosh. bucks a pair. You guys... I, I'm taking I'm taking five percent of that right now. That, that's so a know. business idea right there, Batty. It's a beautiful. Josh's business. eyes are blowing up at that concept right what now. Let me think of that at, to begin with, because those glasses are sweet. I was at the OVA when we ordered those for prizes. Those were a big hit with the kids. They're they're cool, man. They're me. super stylish. Kids love them. They're not good for your eyes, but like I would never play twenty years ago's problem. What are you talking You're about? I played in them for years. For I had some of my best results in those glasses. <laughs> Garrett is so sponsored by OVA sunglasses. Yeah, they were just fine. And because if you broke one, I had five more right, right where those were coming in hot. <laughs> You'd have to get hit in the face for that to happen. Yeah, it didn't, that never happened. That I didn't know. happen much. So, so one more topic we wanted to cover that will totally include Garrett's ego. And maybe no, I'm not done with this coaching long-term is, thing. Is your question who is the better George Brown coach between the two of you? Hey, different eras, different demands. No, maybe. we know the answer to that. We got it clear from the administration when they sent out the releases. And we got a clear response. there. I think in my summary, they said, really turn the program around and elevated it to new heights. So I think that's, that's a, pretty, a sharp cut. Pretty right damning, there. pretty damning. Evidence. I don't know what you were turning around. I don't know. But now, but now Sam Schachter is going to bury both of us, which is off. Not cool. Yeah, he's probably turning around too. That program needs rebuilt every two years. Is there a player coach rule in the uh, OCAA? I looked it up. Because I'm pretty sure he's got eligibility. There is a player coach rule. You cannot do it. Okay. Because I would have definitely done it. I would have applied, done a program, and done it. But you cannot do it. You you had eligibility left when you finished at Western. I still have eligibility left. How many years do you have left? One. Did you you finish your program? You got to play your five and seven though, don't you? 
What? I don't think it's a timeless thing. I think there's like a cap now that you can't just keep your one forever. It, That's there's dumb. like a yeah. Well, like somebody goes away and comes back as an adult, and they're like, "Nope, you can't play. You're too old." I honestly think there is like a, a timeline that it's not like five and whatever. I think it's like five and seven or eight or something. I don't know. We can ask Terrell Bramwell. Well, way to rain on my damn that. parade here, Josh. Like, what the heck, man? And I'm not done with this coaching multiple years thing. We can't escape with Batty <laughs> think it's okay to say that you, can, you can't coach multiple teams or multiple years with the same team. I so can't believe be you're flaw? letting them get away with that, Josh. Well, the flaw would be, like you said, the the coach doesn't have something to teach for that many years. Or what if, Garrett, you're the third left side on Batty's team, but then you come to my team and all of a sudden it's fresh eyes, it's new drills, you get a new chance. Are you about to sit on the fence? I'm just trying to stir the pot of like, what what are you saying? You're about to sit on the fence. I can see a fence sitting prep coming right here and I don't like it, Josh. (laughs) Just what's the problem, though? I, I don't understand. Like, what if somebody gets pigeonholed? What if the athlete needs a new voice, Garrett? What if? Well, hey, if you have a crappy coach. They should not be coaching you for more than one practice, right? Like, change of Tell coach. Tell that to a club who needs volunteers right now. The only reason why more kids aren't playing volleyball is because there's not enough coaches. Not because there's not uh, enough gym space. Not because there's not enough club teams. If we had more coaches, more kids would be playing. It's that simple in my eyes. De- definitely. So your line that's, then, that's Josh, is who cares? Get any coach you can get. As long as it's safe, as long as they're running a safe environment, I don't care that somebody's dad is running their 14 new team. As long as their balls are in the air and they're playing volleyball. Yeah. Triple ball. What kind, what, what kind of volleyball knowledge do you need for triple ball? You need to know how to toss a ball, ball manipulation. I remember somebody said this to me. It is like super key in the coaching criteria. <laughs> Interesting phrasing. I know there. super key in the coaching criteria <laughs> is ball manipulation. I thought you guys do not see how hilarious that sounds. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm getting tested on my ball manipulation. Right. I, I've heard you're excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like that rumor to continue to grow. <laughs> Garrett does great with handling and manipulating balls. Yeah, the more the better. Absolutely, love a good set of balls. I think that's a good segue, Josh, into whatever else you wanted to talk about because oh. now it's tainted. That's fine. We we do have one that's going to touch your ego here. And Batty asked about former players being given their coaching certification because let's just say it, Garrett, the best players make the best coaches. Actually, Why is no, this I'm about totally testing my ego, by the way. Like if Batty comes on and he's manipulating the show already, he's turning us against each other. What the heck, Josh? You're letting him get a wedge between us. It's working. This is how the discussions are made, Garrett. This you was know, the Logan plan was the, the whole worst. time. You guys planned a two-on-one the side. entire time. I get it. I see how it is. All right, sorry, go on. I interrupted. So because we need more coaches, Batty brought up the question or, or the suggestion, excuse me. If you've played pro or or a high level, should you not be given your level one coaching certification? And I would question I think there's still, I don't know if they need to do the full course. I think they still need to do something because coaching is different than playing where if you give it to some players, they're just going to do the drill that they did at Humber college and hit meter balls with their 14 U team. Like, I don't think they actually understand player development, but I, I think there should be a shortcut. And we talked about this with Katie and Maria, right on their episode, Garrett is there's a lot of barriers to be a volunteer coach. You got to get this course and that course and this course, and you got to go do this session. And there's, you just don't get to sign up and volunteer. You got to put some hours in and some weekends in. So I thought it was an interesting shortcut, but I'm not quite convinced just because you played at X level, you should be given, you know, your full certification. Well, I mean, I have pretty clear views on this. Um, I, I like if the if 
the problem with beach, or volleyball and beach volleyball is there's not enough coaches and more players would be playing if we had more coaches. It seems like an easy way to get more coaches coaching volleyball is to give out levels to high level players to come and give back, to give them an opportunity, an easy one to give back. For example, now I don't have my level one. Like I, I'm not accredited to coach a team older than 17U at their championships. Like I can't do that. When I, I coached a college team for four years, like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Then I'm pretty sure required a level two in the press release and the posting, but that's okay. He got around that. Absolutely did not. The rules are only suggestions in the book. <laughs> it says a recommended level two after three years of coaching, no requirement. So like, anyway, that that's valid. I know other coaches in, in college that don't, don't have their level two. They, they have a level three FIVB, but that's not recognized here. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's a different we- topic. Wow. That, okay. How dumb is that? You have a player. So let's, <laughs> let's use a good example. So something like Felipe, I think Felipe is a good example. Felipe, great guy, went and played international beach volleyball, played university indoor. That guy should get a level for what he's done. Like that guy has been around volleyball. For those of you who don't know him, he's one of the nicest guys around, you know, soft-spoken for sure, but definitely knows some level of volleyball. Based on what he's done, that should be a guy who gets a level one, potentially beach and indoor. Because like, what's he got to prove? What's he got to prove to somebody? Oh, he can run a drill. He can do long-term athlete development. For what? To coach a club team where we don't have enough players? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. So does the ownership then shift to the club to make sure that these athletes know what they're doing? Because if we're going to use the, I guess the line has to be higher than college, right? Because if, if Garrett doesn't have any certification and all of a sudden a graduate from George Brown says, what, I just played in the OCAA, you should give me my level one. It's like, but you learned from somebody who wasn't qualified. Now you're double not qualified and you want your level one for free. Like that stuff. Yeah, college, you should not include college. College is a mixed bag. You do not know what you're getting (laughs) there for sure. I think you almost have to like draw the line at it needed to be your job. Like you needed to like be a professional in order for that to count. Cause you know, there's a lot of university guys too, that you can sit on the pine for four years and you don't know anything. Yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> but you also with your level one can't really coach above a certain age. So you'd hope that if you they were exposed to a program long enough that you'd have the ability to coach a 14 U boys team or a 14 U girls team or a 15 U team. Right. And those are the ages that like the development is lacking and you have a lot of parents coaching who don't know a forearm pass from a hand pass. See, this is where the rules almost get in the way. Like as a club guy, I think I'd be more comfortable with a former pro guy taking like a 16, 17 or 18 team because then they could just recycle the drills. They know tactics. They're passionate about that stuff. I've done coaching clinics with former national team guys with like 14 years and they're like, I don't really know what he drills for this activity. I don't know how to teach this skill. Like this person could have taught read blocking in their sleep, but they don't know how to teach server seat, right? So uh, there, yeah, like but you, you need a certain level to coach that. That's why that's like you're getting to like level two at that point. So for example, like this year, I'm coaching the 18U boys team uh, for the club and I have almost my whole level one and three quarters of my level two, but neither of them are technically complete. So in order to coach at nationals, I need to have a level two or higher sitting on the bench. Yeah, because you have no idea what you're talking about. Do I need that? Yeah, you do. do. I need no, that? you no, need but. that. Because you have no idea what we're talking about. So you need to sit in that clinic. Okay. <laughs> have you been to the clinic yet, Batty? Like to the no, sit in, to, you got to go. What do I need to go to the clinic for? Well, well, okay. I'm asking because I did. 
like me and Maria went to a clinic and sat in and got like, I'm sitting here with a bunch of people who, so, you know, some people are like young athletes trying to get their accreditation and some are, uh, people who are just trying to coach their kids. Right. So there's 20 people in this room and the instructor, I won't name him because I forgot his name, but um, <laughs> clearly, clearly knew who I was, right? Like I didn't know who he was, knew who I was. So Maria was oh, so pissed. Maria is my partner, by the way, for those who don't know, was so pissed the entire time because Maria played university. Maria won a OUA championship. I never did. I, I played pro for sure, but he kept he kept going to me for like questions, examples, asking me to speak like, oh, you know, Garrett, you know, like you did, did this, you know, and I'm like, yeah, okay. And My favorite thing is Garrett's humble brag of I was in the course, but I probably should have been the one teaching the course. Well, so <laughs> no big deal. Rewind. <laughs> A few years before that, I was invited to teach at the level two beach course. Okay, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Invited to do one session, and Dustin Reed was running the whole thing, and I invited you, you jerk. And that was for one session. Context is very important. Hey, hey. I was invited to teach at the level two course. That's what I said. That is still the truth. Something extremely specific, like spoon hey, fed even. Hey, I will take that to my grave. I was invited to teach at the level two course because like what what were you supposed to teach at the level two course? Now proper screaming etiquette? Now, if I could remember, that would really help my case here. I cannot. Dustin did a really good job and he he let you do a lot of d demo stuff. You felt like the big man on campus. You were demonstrating your past set. You did the diving footwork. You did a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Oh, you didn't give. You were the demo. That's different. No, because then Dustin's really smart because he'll ask leading questions. And Garrett will be like, well, when I was at World Championships, this is what we did. And hey, I did not going, say oh, that. That was humble, not. Humble brag. No, that was humble not brag. coming out. If I'm bragging, I'm coming at you fully. I'm not. Here's the serve. It. I used to beat Brazil in the final. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great line. I should have brought that out. Just flexed while I said it, too. Like, just. Oh yeah, you know this is what you, one I use to dominate the entire world. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, to to summarize that, like, I think the things you go through, the things you have to go through to get your coaching levels, at least here in Canada, a lot of athletes like don't need to go through that. So what's the solution? Because you're going to get some who probably do need it because they're idiots, but you're going to get a vast majority. And like Batty said, I think the ones who played pro, it was their job, like. There's some level of credibility that that gives, doesn't it? So trying to think in other industries, what do you do to fast track somebody? Like, I don't know if you can design a, a test or something to test credibility or knowledge that would then shortcut this course. Because Garrett, the course you went to, it was probably two eight-hour days, right? Yeah. Like, that's that's a commitment to do that. So to try to get some college university kid or, excuse me, former pro guy to do that. And then that's just one part of the certification. Then you got to do the theory course. Then you got to put your hours in. Then, then you got to get 40 hours of practice plans. I've never written a practice plan in my life. Like, I need to make 40 hours now? Does that mean I'm a bad coach, Josh? I don't make practice plans? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> How do you know where you're going if you're not planning? Because it's all in the brain, Josh. I got a powerful brain and I can keep it all up in there. That's like I said, the fav my favorite thing about coaching is seeing what you need and giving it, right? Getting what you can get and just going in that direction. So that's why, I, anyway, that, that, it was a barrier to entry for me. And so, yeah. The, and what do you mean by fast track in other industries? Like they do it all the time. There's no other industry that has like this 
level of, well, some of them have this level of, you know, criteria, but think like in my job and every day, if somebody wanted to get somebody in from the ground up and just put them in, in a director role or something, they just do it. I mean, we literally in this conversation proved that you can coach college without the recommended, recommended level. He doesn't yeah, even make I'm a plan. A, do you I'm make a, a grocery center. list? Like when you go shopping, do you have a list? Do you have an alarm do clock? Do you think he does groceries? Sense of responsibility. Like you, you write nothing down. I write nothing down. <laughs> That blows your mind, doesn't it? We're learning things on this show. (laughs) Yeah, nothing. No practice plan, nothing. So you'll just decide that it's time to work on this because you you felt like it? Uh, Well, I mean, I think let's give my brain a little bit more credit here. Like there's the whole bigger picture in in play as well. Like you're aware – of what you need to work on when in your season and your age group, like you kind of know those things, but yeah, for sure. Like, you know, and you're game planning week to week. So it's not like you're unaware of what's coming next and what you need to kind of add and deal with. Right. Sorry. In a college setting, you're game playing week to week. Do you coach a club team the same? Yes. Interesting. He can't, he doesn't have any levels. <laughs> yeah. I actually can't coach club. So actually it was funny. The years I, w- I was coaching, I was kind of in the years of where it was in flux where like you didn't need a level necessarily up until a certain age. And those were the years I coached that age. Then they brought in the levels, but they gave you a year exemption. And then that one year exemption was the year that I coached 18 U <laughs> or uh, the 16 year or whatever. So um, I've, I've skirted those rules a lot. but like it's frustrating like if i wanted to go and coach an 18u team like and batty you have to finish it otherwise you got to pay a fine or something right uh pretty sure it's as long as i don't think they'll suspend you or stop you from coaching your team i'm pretty sure it's a fine well i don't know if it's a fine in this year technically so it's free this year well no i have i have a level two or higher on my bench as an assistant ah. but they only have to be there at nationals ah. so you can coach the whole season without them so well so what we're saying then is that level two coaches are essentially useless and you don't need them worth their weight in gold for one tournament a year that's true otherwise you just got to pay the fine i think the first year was a hundred bucks which is cheaper than the course it was it was a hundred bucks per per event though you didn't have them on the bench when it was a mandatory thing at every event because it used to be it used to be at every event you needed level two on the bench really and who yeah. was checking that the that, so that that ironically was the year that uh, I coached eighteen U against a certain host on this team you coached against Josh. Yes, that was that, that was it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We have a funny history, Batty. You coached against me yeah. in my 18U year. Yeah. And you were my coach at Madawaska for one the one year that I went there. And I never went back. So I don't know. What does that say about uh, <laughs> about the coach? I guess it means that I taught you more than you could handle and decided that you're like, you know what? I'm not a – I've learned enough. You did. I, I remember the one back. thing I'll never forget from that year is – the first day we got there, you were like, okay, guys, we're going to play this game. And it's called the game of life. Basically, oh, anytime, anytime you say the word mine, not on the volleyball court, you got to do 10 push-ups. And everybody in the room was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, let's do that. And I'm like 14 years old, like, 
really? Like we got to do push-ups? Like I, I like 10 push-ups? Like that's a lot of push-ups. <laughs> so by the end of the week, everybody was just their pecs were just burning. See that that leads me to another question. You're at the top cabin of Madawaska here as a 14-year-old. So as a player development thing, was that good for your development? Because I imagine what the 18-year-olds were talking about in the cabin wasn't what you wanted to talk about as a 14-year-old. Madawaska is a volleyball camp. It's an overnight camp. It's not for player development. Like you play a lot of volleyball, but you're not going there to like pick up a bunch of skills and get better. At least not from my perspective. Maybe that's their goal, but that's not why kids go to the camp a lot of kids so go would to the you camp have a better experience with kids your own age then in your i cabin? asked i i went there on the first day and i asked i said hernan ian whoever put me in the lowest cabin with my friends please and they kind of said no and i was like all right well whatever then so now i was stuck with all the 17 year olds yeah things have changed they've gotten they've gotten around that it, it, it's uh it's definitely more of a progression to uh the camp experience like you're talking about yeah. and less, less high performance yeah, for sure. But I mean, the volleyball was good, but, and I mean, you're doing it for nine hours a day or whatever. So like you need it, <laughs> it needs to be good, but it's a lot of volleyball anyway. And are we good coaches or do we even know what we're talking about here? Like our, our, is our listeners right now going, these three guys are are a group of idiots who have no idea what they're doing. Two of them don't even have their levels finished. How are they even qualified to talk about coaching? I just love that Josh hasn't piped up and said anything about what he's holding. If we're playing cards right now, Josh is just sitting there staring at his hand. I feel like Josh is not letting anything go. Like, are you pissing me for something right now, Josh? No, no. I think totally different. He definitely is. Like, I think (laughs) coaching requires a lot of credibility. So when Batty walks into a gym, he has credibility based on what he's like earned, what he's done as a player i'm not going to walk into a gym and have that so i like to do go through like the knowledge base the experience the levels like i value that because you need credibility right i think the kids need to have a certain amount of respect for you before they're going to listen to you right or as your dad talked about gary like he's a big trust guy you can't rip into somebody and talk about their effort if they don't trust you because they're just going to switch off right so i think if somebody with baddie's background has a certain lane to be in so that doesn't necessarily mean they need the courses but i thought with my you know, athletic ability and my playing for the here in tsunami in the OVA circuit, you know, you gotta, you gotta do a little bit more maybe to grasp that or have that level of understanding or expertise in the game to then try to teach it to athletes. I think that's people deserve that. It's like, you think John Barrett doesn't have a different voice than somebody who's coaching in the OCAA. Absolutely does. He's an Olympian. He's a great player. So uh, I think that's just how sport works sometimes is you got to trust the message as much as maybe the, the data or the science behind the message. Right. So are you kind of saying then, you played, but you never played pro or like international or at a, a much higher level like that. And you're saying, hey, why do you get fast tracked when you come in and potentially do a terrible job? And I've spent my time here learning the game. I went to the clinics. I've done all this, gotten the levels. I've studied how this thing should be done at a high level. And I'm bringing that in here. Yet you walk in here and think you deserve like all this, you know, benefits and praise and that sort of thing. I think when I was younger, that definitely frustrated me because I don't think actually, no, George Brown was an expansion team when I got it. So I did coach them when I was like 23 or 24, but when you got them, when you were 23 or 24, it was like a different thing because you got a little bit of a fast track, right? I think like that stuff used to bother me because the provincial team values playing experience. Like there's certain, there's certain barriers, I think for somebody who just likes coaching to get into it. If you don't have a certain, I don't know, 
resume of wins or something. So I, I kind of went the other way of just trying to like earn it and be a good coach before you get these jobs where I used to get mad that so-and-so got a fast track, but sometimes maybe just their name or their presence does earn it. It's just the way sport works. Sometimes I think playing experience does add credibility sometimes. Okay. What are you more upset about people getting fast tracked past you or the fact that I don't write practice plans? <laughs> <laughs> Five years ago would be the fast track, and right now it's the practice. Right now it's the practice. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Daddy, look at you, buddy, bringing on some stimulating conversation to this show. What the heck, man? Who knew? Are you an entertaining say, guy? Like, should we should we make a note that we should have Batty back? Or like, it, it reminds me, Garrett, when with Maverick Hatch was trying to do his certification, and Keith Wozniak was was his evaluator. And, and hopefully, I'm allowed to share this on there. I hope it's not confidential because both of them thought it was hilarious, but not at the time. So, explaining <laughs> his practice plan, and Keith is going, "Well, how how long are you going to do this drill for, Mav?" And now goes. I don't know. I'll just feel it out. And he goes, no, no, no. Like what's the success criteria of this drill? Are you going to do 20? Do they have to get a certain amount in a row? What, what is, is there a time limit? And Matt just goes, no, 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 I'll feel it out. And that was just like, to them, it felt like the purest answer where Keith is like, not a success criteria. You need to have a plan. Like, is it X number of balls for this athlete? Is it this year? Matt's just like, no, man, you got to be in the gym. You got to feel it. You'll know when it's time to move the drill on. Like, that's a stupid question, Keith. So I would be going bonkers at that. That sounds like a conversation you and I have. If I had to evaluate you, Garrett, it'd be like, I don't know. I'll just, what are you doing next practice? Is this building anything? I I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. Yeah. See Maverick would, would stand up and like, just really be honest about what he truly believes. I would be insidious and just give you what you want to move on. Like, so we wouldn't (laughs) have that conversation because I just lie and say, Oh yeah, we need to get 20 or something. Like I just make something up to move on. But Maddie, where do you fall on that? Like, are you like, hey, yeah, like you know, all that stuff, success criteria, practice plans, or are you more fly by the seat of your pants type guy? I'm asking just so we can more effectively bury you whenever we need to. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I, I'd probably say I'm a little more regimented than than the one and only Garrett May. Like, I'll, I'll usually have a plan, but like there's definitely times where, and it happened yesterday in our tryouts, I set up what I thought would be like an easy start to the day, which was guys on the court and just are doing continuation and you filter wherever the ball went. So if you hit on the left, you filter six, five, four, and you have a non-setter setting and we're going to go continuation over the net ball goes over that four times. Then you get to kill it. And you want to talk about a bunch of boys running around, had no idea what was going on. That was probably 15 minutes. And I was like, do I change it? Or do I just really get the opportunity to take in and figure out how many of these kids can figure out how to do this properly? Okay. Batty. And, is and you know what? I let it ride. I let it ride for a while. And like, there's like other coaches in the gym that are higher than me. And I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go. I won't figure it out. But that way I'm learning a whole lot of kids in the gym are. And I'll make a change eventually. And then we put in setters and then we like just made it straight gameplay. But like, it's hard, you know, you sit there and you're like, Ooh, this, this is bad. Yeah. So I feel like Batty could be converted here. Josh Batty feels it. He's regimented. He's got the structure, but you can, it sounds like you could feel it was garbage and you wanted to make it better. Right. Here's the thing. If you're a good enough coach, like I'm saying, you know, when it's time to change it. Yeah. You got to let them like struggle and try and figure some stuff on their own, especially at older age groups, because like they need to figure that out. But like, you know, sometimes you just got to 
you got to just let it roll for a bit. So Josh, in your detailed practice plans, do you have backup drills in case one goes sour? Regressions and progressions? To, if we're talking like language, there's a way to like load the drill and there's a way to deload the drill without having to like stop it completely. You just like add a variation and one would be easier. One would be harder. So yeah. every single one of your through drills the lingo. When I'm coaching like a club team, absolutely. At the beach national team, I usually don't have a deload option. And it's usually what are you doing with your life if we have to like deload this because you're professionals. But that that's a different arena. of. of Who do you say that to the most? That's my question. Because you had that. That answer was ready and primed. You know, what are you doing with your life? And how often does that come out? That's a great I'm just shocked question, sometimes man. with the beach national team athletes. I give them way too much credit for what they're actually doing because you'll have these debrief meetings, Gary, and you'll say, well, what do you want to work on? And we have a left side who's played high-level university, high-level beach, and he wants to work on keeping the ball in front of him when he hits, Garrett. I would have thought <laughs> we were past that. I would have thought like we were so far gone on that that we're talking tactical. We're talking like against this situation. No, keep the ball in front of me hey, when I attack. He's been in the That's weight room enough. That's a big mention indoors on the beach. If you're outside, okay, you know what? The shifting wind sometimes still – well, You're inside at Downsview. It sounds like the guy or girl has been working out hard and has gotten way faster. <laughs> so they need to work on staying behind the ball because they've been hitting the gym, right? Like, that's great. I think it's a shuttle sod- uh, subtle shot at their partner being like, my partner's setting's trash. <laughs> so I need to make sure that I get myself in a better position. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely that. <laughs> That's a great way to think about it. My mind didn't go there. I was so mad at them wanting to work on something that a 14 you should be working on. But you know, I never thought about their partner, buddy. Oh, You're going to look at this and be like, their partner. Yes, yes, definitely. Their partner should be saying, I need to work on just putting the ball in a zone it's <laughs> hilarious what do you want to work on yeah keep it keeping behind the ball because my partner's setting me three meters off the net <laughs> garrett what do you want to work on today uh my partner needs to work on setting that's what i want to work on that is a 100 percent garrett may answer i know i was just going to say i have said that i've absolutely done that like with dan for sure it was like hey garrett what do you want to work on today well dan needs to set me a lot more <laughs> definitely that's funny you said that because i i will do that i didn't didn't even do that with you batty did i uh no my setting is pretty good hey garrett what do you want to work on well batty's terrible so he needs to pick it up in these areas forget me garrett's answer would be batty needs way more passing reps on the left yeah yeah there were some shanks for sure but uh Yeah, we played together. You though, if you didn't know, viewers, you can't listeners. kick Garrett May off the right. That's why. You like cannot. I was the right. Yeah, you can. But I, 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 we had the conversation for about two seconds when we when we had our first practice. Garrett, what side do you want? I play the right. Okay, good. I, I will go left. We maybe should have talked about that longer. Nah, I guess not. <laughs> Yeah, I guess not. All right, Josh, save us. What's our last topic here? We've had some fun. No, sorry. Before we get to our last one, I just want to bookend this one because it reminds me of a hockey podcast I was listening to. Uh, Jose Theodore Garrett was this awesome goalie. He played for the Montreal Canadiens. He won a Vesna. He won like a world championship for Canada. I thought it was interesting. He mentioned in his interview, like, because as a coach, you're always trying to read and what the new data says. And Garrett, the the coaching world's all over this, this growth mindset and the athletes need to be so intrinsically motivated and, you know, they don't need some on the sidelines barking at them where Josie Theodore mentioned I had my best years when my coach was a jerk and challenged me every single day where if I was 
was left on my own, I was going to show up hungover. I wasn't going to work that hard. I was just kind of going to coast. And I'm like, you played for Canada and you won a Vezina trophy. Like you're legit. And you needed a guy to like be your motivation and give you energy. So uh, I'm curious where you guys sit on that. Where like, I think people like Kobe get, or, or the last dance with MJ, people who are so internally motivated and so competitive, they get celebrated so much. But I think there's a large chunk of athletes who maybe relate more with Jose and say, you know, I, I need somebody to kind of light me up before I'm really going to give my best at this Tuesday practice. Yes. Scotty, anything? Yes. Uh, I, I, I actually thought Garrett was going to have more to say than that. I do. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. I mean, it's hard, you know, like he was a goalie in the league for a long time. And sometimes over time, you're, you're, uh, commitment can waver. So yeah, it's nice to have a guy that's going to sit there and like give you the business and, and, and make you do your job basically. Yeah. I mean, I like that. Like I, I respected that and appreciated that when, and it was easier for my biological father to really do that for me because there was some comfort there. It's tough to do that in a professional setting when like you don't have a lot of love and trust there with the person who's maybe pushing you, but like on the beach, I don't really see that happening a lot in beach volleyball. Like some of the top players having somebody who's really just pushing them. And like, I think the motivation and thing, like you're on the road alone, it's a lot of money. Like it's a grind of a life. So it's, I, it's tough to, to just have that all the time. Whereas indoors and in other larger team sports where it's a lot more organized, you have three coaches on the bench potentially like with a lot of, or more with attention and time to do that stuff. You could have guys who don't necessarily wouldn't care themselves, but in the team setting, it works a lot better. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see that. I could, you could probably guess a few guys on our indoor national team or some of the women as well, who are like, you know, there and great players, but you know, maybe wouldn't be as great if it weren't for the system and the coaches and stuff, they're pushing them to do, to do better. I can also say as a coach that I am going to sit there and if you're not giving it what I think is your best, you will hear it from me. I mean, we all could have guessed that. <laughs> I would too. I hey, I would fake anger sometimes, and that was kind of fun. You ever do that, Josh? Or you're genuinely Yo, angry? I college like all the time. Oh, the college guys react to that stuff. You faked it. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Did you ever fake being proud of them? No, that, that was genuine. But I can say that I, I I faked being mad so much that it was in a practice plan once, Garrett. Like it was planned for. Wow, <laughs> you wrote in a practice plan. To fake being angry at how bad this feels going. Intensity on this session because you know those those weekends you're going into Garrett where you're playing Boreal and the bus trip's going to be like not worth it to go play that game. Like you got to make sure that they're like still in it and then fired up to go play that game, even though it's like I could play that game and win. You know, one of those. Well, you're pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know that because I guess. I get, I'm a lot more in the moment than you. Like you plan these things. I'm a lot more like if it needs to happen in the moment, I'm, I'm here for it. Otherwise, like I'm not looking to get that. See, I find this amazing about you because we've had discussions about goals and you're like, you need to set the biggest goal possible or it shows you don't believe in yourself. And that stuff is like planned and measured where like when you go to practice, you're like, ah, well, we'll start with this warm up game and I don't know what's next. I'll think of it. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like that's totally possible that I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And like, I'm an idiot. Like that's an option. I'm one we don't consider often enough. I think. (laughs) 
possible as batty leaves the room for a second yeah we've lost batty let's you know whatever we we don't need him so josh why don't you uh introduce our next topic here before uh we we totally dropped the call uh where did we want to go with this we wanted to end off on something nice do we even care now anymore are we just too demoralized I think we definitely care because this one, there is no right or wrong. And I think this is a good way to leave it for the listeners because I want to hear their opinions and they can comment below, but we're going to try to crown the best player of all time. And we're talking beach, indoor men's women. Like let's, let's get this into maybe subcategories, but you want to go single best player. Well, when you mentioned this Garrett Canada's players of all time, like, is it one? Is it, is it top three? Is it top five? Like what, what are we doing? Well, I mean, I think you have to, separate by men women and by beach indoor right sure okay like so there's one four of canada's best players of all time we could argue of the four who actually is the best which i, I didn't think you were gonna <laughs> wow. go there that's really hard i didn't oh, think wow. you were gonna go there but i i'm kind of ready to go there too like I, I don't mind that tournament tournament edition but we still gotta like i mean we're not gonna agree i know we're not gonna agree maybe in some of the categories we're going to agree but people talk about in basketball all the time like the goat discussion greatest of all time and i think in like canadian volleyball it's you know a lot tougher in some areas and a lot easier in other areas but what is the criteria you look for because for me i like to think of it as how much better are you than everybody else you played against right like because if you're trying to compare eras it's tough but you can compare them against who they played against and how they result so like sure. results play into that stats play into that all that plays into that because you're competing against who's there at the time right like maybe I, maybe that's a bad definition but that's like what i like to think on so what, what's the easiest one for discussion are we going men's indoor maybe would be the easiest one to get an answer to somebody without too much thought here oh, yeah i got I'll them all ready out. to go Oh, you got the oh. Wow. Batty is the guest. You you can choose which category we go. I might have to, you know, think on this. Oh, let's, let's let's go men's indoor first. Okay. Uh and I I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Paul as my as my number one. Paul Durden. Uh Paul Durden for anybody that doesn't know. Strictly in terms of like longevity of career. Uh, in addition to his success over his career, um, his success as a player, um, I think like if we're talking who's the best men's indoor player from this country ever, like I, I, I don't know if there is someone who can take it from Paul. Yeah, I, I'm sad that we're going to start off with me agreeing. Um, but I do have to go there as well with Paul Durden. I mean, I think well, who would, who would you go number two then? I think who would you well, throw I'll, out as number two? My one's Gavin. I would put Gavin. I would have Gavin his... up there for sure. Maybe number two. You think Gavin's number one, Josh? Well, when we talk Paul's success, he's very successful. And I think in the era he was in, he was by far our best player, but I think Gavin was able to do more with our national team than Paul was. I think Paul, he was a good player in France when France was a good league. I think Gavin, when he went to a couple of leagues, like let's, you're going to slight me about it. And you're going to say, well, he played most of his career in, in Korea or something like that. But I think- prime versus prime though. I'm not throwing it at Gavin prime versus prime. I'm not giving it to Gavin over Paul. 
I think when Canada made the Olympics in 2016, Gavin was arguably the only player on our roster who was an Olympic level player. I don't think Gord was there yet. I don't think any of our middles were Olympian level players. Like I think Gavin was the only one the other team was in their, their meeting talking about being like, we got to identify where Gavin is on the floor. Everybody else is just another guy right now. I think he Josh's criteria for this, I think is you compared to who you were playing against, which sure. Yeah. Gavin with the rest of those guys was a bigger gap, but I don't think, I don't think Gavin's best Gavin was better than Paul's best Paul. So when you say Paul's success, what did he ever do that? Because we didn't win World League. We barely qualified for World League when he was the guy. Was well, World League, how old was Paul when World League came around? Well, what international competition was there, though? So what, what was Paul it? was that Paul at one time was arguably the top three right sides in the world. And I don't think you can put I, uh, I don't know if you can put Gavin in that. I, I think this race is a little closer than uh, than Batty. I think you think it is. Like I, I, I do respect some of Josh's points. I had Paul higher. Yeah. Um, I think Paul like brought some more skill than Gavin. I think Gavin like carried a ton of the offensive load and would rip serves and stuff like that. I think Paul brought a little bit more dynamic play to the game. I will say though, interesting that we all picked the right side as the top player. They don't pass. When the two most important skills in volleyball are passing and serving, we didn't pick somebody who passed. Interesting. I, I did it too. That's fair. Like, I don't know if we've had an international caliber guy on the wing, though. Like, we, Fred Winters was very good, but well, I don't like think he a, was like, like a Gord Perrin. Right. Like passes. Well, we also, no one picked, no one picked a setter either. I know. Like, again, no one picked a setter. I mean, TJ brought a lot of stuff to our squad. I mean, right like it really helped with some of the results he was setting gavin for a lot of those in the later years of gavin's career getting those big hits done for our country you know or gord on the left side like he's an international caliber player and i have a recency bias for sure for me like compared to some of the players in canada's past um just because i think the game has elevated so much over the years especially indoors like the stuff you see in them do now compared to like 20 years ago is just so different right yeah, the game is the game is completely different. Paul has a lot, I think, more international success. I think where like he the titles that he has around the world, I think, surpass Gavin's titles around like the his world. His pro career. His 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 pro career, definitely. I think it it was a if we're just measuring in terms of success, I think. All right. Well, hey, we made our that's, picks. That's kind of where I have him. We made our picks. Paul Durden, Paul Durden. Gavin Schmidt, congrats to both of you guys. I mean, because we all know whatever we say here is the final word on the topic. There's no other debate discussion. We are. Yeah, the they're correct. not listening. They're not. They're not going to. We are the correct answer. And so that's it. So. Uh, all right. So where are we moving next? Women's indoor. Sure. I really don't have a great answer for this. Yeah, I. Uh... I was unprepared. This is a tough question for sure. Like, do you think it's somebody on Canada's current national team or like a recent retiree? So this one got swayed for me a little bit. Uh, we had a lease side coaches meeting, which usually ends in wings and talking to John child all night. So I thought it was Sarah Pavin, uh, even though she left early and she did all this stuff. He told me I was crazy. And apparently Guillaume Dumont is like one of the best players of all time. She was playing like pro in Italy and also going to the Olympics for the beach. Like she was playing both levels of volleyball at a super high level and was dominant just before like a YouTube social media era. So I don't know enough about Guillaume's uh, career, but apparently she was legit 
Yeah, interesting that they both went to beach though. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what does that tell you about? Probably both of them had a pretty similar story where they, you know, struggled with the international team and wanted some success, and so went to the beach where they could have some more control. I think it's probably down between those two. I gotta think. Don't like, don't don't we think though? Is there anybody else we would throw in there? Like Kathy Tuff is going into the Hall of Fame this year. Was she the the player when Canada made the Olympics in '96? But she also I, played beach for a lot of years. Yes, yes. Why do they all go to the beach? Maybe they should all just go to the beach. I was like, know. why do we just make this one one thing? Who's yeah, who is your overall best striker listening? Why don't they just come to the beach? Yeah. Like it's just the path. All right. Well, I'll just say Jen Cross then, because she's a friend, friend of the show. We went to high school together, and it'll feed her ego for me to say that. So that'll be my pick. Current captain. I mean, how can you argue with that? What's the best result our women's national team has ever had? Do we know? Uh, fifth at Pan Am. Have they made I the Olympics? What, they must have, right? I don't know what we finished in '96, but that was the last time we made the Olympics. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I think we we just missed uh, London. I think that was like the, the closest we've been since 96. Right. Okay. Because when you talk about the level we've played against, uh, it's it's hard for me in recent memory to know somebody on our women's national team who's been considered the best player in the world, where you could argue that Durden was in that conversation at one point, Gavin was in that conversation, like at least like top five, top 10. I'm not sure that like van reich is there yet is maybe like a stud internationally I, i'm not sure where jen maybe falls is like middles i i just don't see them popping up in the same conversations right now yeah yeah sarah sarah i think would have been the closest that we would yeah. have had um coming out like even like coming through nebraska like coming out of the state she was like a she was a big deal uh coming out of university and then she went i think to Italy right away. So I think in terms of like who was the most well known in the recent time that would be rated at that level it would definitely be Sarah. Okay, so that's who you're going with, Batty. Who are you going with, Josh? I'll go with Sarah Pavin as well. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here first. Like that's official. That's the official verdict. So should we <laughs> should we go to beach women or beach men? What do we want to end with? What do what? How do we want to? What's going to be the more spicy discussion? Let's go beach women right now. And is it not Sarah as well? Are you flopping now on me, Josh? I can't believe this. What are you talking about? Well, for you, Garrett, it, it's it's Sarah. For me, I'm still going to go with Melissa from a few weeks ago. I think she's just better in a few key areas of stats. I wait, think Melissa's you, wait, very you're good. flopping, but then you're flopping back. No, no, because if you go into our archives, you and I argued that you thought Sarah was more important for their team than Melissa was. I think Melissa's legit. So, but you gen like you're not just you genuinely think that Melissa like you're picking Melissa as the best beach volleyball player in Canadian history. I think I could be swayed because it is a little bit partner dependent. Where Sarah is still Sarah if she plays with Heather, plays with Melissa, plays with an up and comer. If Melissa plays with another blocker, I'm not sure it is the same because she wasn't quite the same maybe with Taylor or some of her other partners. So I think I could be swayed, but I think Melissa gives a lot to that team system that she delivers on a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think, Batty, are you going to go somebody other than Melissa or Sarah? Because they are the world champions. Yeah, so it's funny because I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I just, I don't have enough background to track far enough back to make uh, a further in-depth answer. But I'm I'm also going to say Mel. Uh, I think if you look, Mel was what, U19 or U21 silver medalist uh, with V Altamar. And then you've got... Uh, she was, I think the, 
FIVB rookie of the year. She's been the multiple time defender of the year. Um, like I think you have a lot of things that she has contributed and I think her peak will continue. And I think if you were to put her with say Brandy or like Sophie or someone else, I still think she can contribute. Whereas I, I think Sarah is like big and has done a lot. I, I, if I have to give an answer, I'm going to give it to Mel. Interesting. I think Mel's, two, a, Mel's two, a little more well-rounded, I think. Interesting that you two would go that way and interesting that you would both be wrong because um, it's definitely Sarah. I mean, we're talking about Olymp- like top in the world quality players. Like she's a two-time Olympian. She's a world champion on that team that we're talking about the world championship team. She, like she dominant. Like if she plays well, they win. If she doesn't play well, she, they lose. Was she the world champion with Heather? No. Okay. Well, who made the difference there then? Well, yeah. Like you, you, you say Sarah gets an upgrade, therefore Mel's better. Like. Well, you're you're strictly saying between those two players, you think that Sarah was more important to winning a world championship than Mel was, and I'm saying. She's not. Uh, yeah, well, uh, we we definitely disagree on that. So, yeah, because like I, this might have been a better spicy conversation than whatever the, the top yeah. beach men will be. Yeah, I mean, uh, I we think probably other Eddie. names we could put in there. Annie Martin, just for the longevity of the career, she played for a lot of years. Oh yeah, she was had a lot she of goes Olympic, in the conversation. You know, a few yeah. Olympic births as well. I mean. Yeah, I think Mel's got a lot of career left to go. I think it'll be we'll see more like how she does without Sarah, like if Sarah keeps playing or not and how that goes for sure on that. But uh yeah, I mean like you, you what you have with Sarah is just so unique on the world that you have you have probably five or six other Mel's in the world. You have no other Sarah Pavins in the world. Uh Alex, Alex Kleinman. Kleinman. <laughs> very still very different style, very different player. In what way? Alex is a great server, good blocker, sides out. Like what? What? What is Sarah? I, I would. So much I would. I would say more mobile. I, I would say that I think Alex Kleinman is a little bit more mobile. She's also a little bit younger. I think Talik was legit from Australia. She's a little bit smaller than Sarah, but she still does the same role at a very high level. Yeah, well, I think Sarah being the left-handed, hitting the two balls and stuff with Mel like that, the style she plays at the net, the she very aggressive with the blocks, rarely peels where you see some of the other players getting off the net a lot more, you know, very focused on the block, and she gets a ton of blocks. Like, that that's the big thing for that team. And, well, I don't know. We were watching throughout the Olympics, and they struggled for sure um, at times. But when Sarah was able to get her hands up there at the net and get some blocks. That team had success and Mel made digs for sure. But I don't think that was the the key factor in their, their success. So anyway, we, we agree. We disagree. I don't know. How are we going to solve this? No, cause I think you're wrong. I think you're dead wrong. I think everything's I think, been a two thirds split. I'm waiting for someone to have a different opinion. I think if you were to look at it for every one slammy Sarah's getting, I bet you Mel's getting three or four digs. She's converting to kills. So her blocks that much more important because the crowd goes, Oh yeah, that's awesome. Versus Mel just getting digs and converting. Who would you Anyone s- who's a good coach knows the point of the block is to not actually block the ball. Who, who would you serve between Sarah and Mel? I think Sarah. Australia served Sarah and they won. Okay. So in one match, you serve Sarah? Who am I in that sentence? Am I me? Am I? Yeah, you're you. 
Josh Nickel out there playing the world champions. <laughs> like, I don't know. The, the, the field, for the most part, has served Melissa probably more than they've served Sarah. Right? Like, they, they would Wait, know better than Are you asking me to us. look that up? I can look that up if you want. I can, I sure. Know. That would be an interesting stat. Because I would then argue if Sarah's getting served more while well, she's putting away more balls. She's siding out. She's doing more work. <laughs> It's it's a tough argument to find a solution for. So that's our opinions. What's your opinion, listeners out there? Hit us up in any way you know how. What do you think? If you're not Canadian, well, just get an opinion, please. Get educated on what Canadians are doing. We have one more to discuss slash settle, and that is the men's side on the beach volleyball. Curious to see your guys' thoughts on this. I don't know. Is Josh led yet? Josh can Josh can lead. See, this one is harder than I think people are going to let on here. Uh, it's to me, it's gotta be Mark or John. I'll, I'll start with that. But I think for me, it's going to be Heesmeister. I think he, a little bit of longevity. I think the amount of national championships he's won, I think the amount he did with like, they, they just missed Beijing in my mind. And I know just missing the Olympics doesn't count for much, but I think if they would have got in, maybe that settles the child. He's argument is Mark got one more, but to miss the Olympics by one or maybe two spots at the most, I think it's for me, one it's the Heesmeister. one mat. Like, yeah, they, if they get that result, they're in, right? Yeah. So to me, it's it's the Heesmeister. Patty? <laughs> uh, yeah, I I would probably also say Mark. Um, for for all the reasons that Josh listed, ten time national champion, three time Olympian, bronze medalist. Didn't he didn't he play with his son in an event in Quebec and win this year? They did not win. They did not win. Oh, sorry. The father-son victory on is still elusive for them. Um, yeah, I mean, spoil. It, it's Mark. It's Mark. I don't. Yeah, like I don't. I mean, you want to talk about who was better on that team at one time? You'd maybe have an, a, an interesting discussion. I'm sure they would probably not want to talk about that. But, I mean, we could and have but some fun. But in 96, John was a better player. We I think could, the we, community would agree on that. We could have some fun with that. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, Mark's body of work is uh, is just too overwhelming. I think the national championships, and we didn't mention that with anybody else, how many national championships they'd won. Um, but the fact that Mark had won that many is, I think, really cool. Because I think if you were a fan of your country, you'd want them to come back and defend that in the national championship. You get a chance to see them domestically. Like, that's your only chance, really. And uh, so I think that's pretty cool for them to have done and him to have done so many times. I think Melissa's won more national championships than Sarah did. If we count youth, for sure she has. So, I mean. I I don't even think it's important anymore for our international athletes to do that. I I think it has no value for them, so they don't play them. Yeah, well, that's a whole nother discussion, and we don't have time. That's for that. a whole nother. We, we, we've 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 been around the block and back. Josh, we got things to do. We got stuff to do. I got to edit this thing. Like, oh my gosh, with the tech issues and ah, uh, this. Well, oh my god, Batty, this is how the show ends. Like, we just get to a point where we got to end it, but maybe we don't want to. We could talk forever. How was it? Your first episode of Sharp Cuts. Honestly, I, I think it was great. Great. Yes. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yes. Okay. We'll have to have you back. Damn it. Nice. Who, who should we have you on with next? Who do you want to go head to head with? Oh, can the three of us be on with Dallas? I think that, I think that, that, that could make for some interesting takes. 
or Jake. Okay. So Jake might like be Dallas here to get Jake. Dallas keeps ducking us. Yeah, we 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 have a tough time getting guests. Not that you would know that because you were our first pick for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, at we'll, episode two hundred and five, we'll definitely get to that. We got to announce that, Garrett. This is the episode two hundred for passing dimes. What this, this is? This upcoming episode will be number two hundred. Yeah, on our list. Well, this is like twenty-seven for sharp cuts. But for me, this is the two hundred podcast we've released. Wow. Oh man, we should have done it so differently. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Batty is the 200 guest. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This was your 200th episode, Josh. I mean, congrats. Congrats. (laughs) But we blew it. (laughs) We blew it. (laughs) Final question. Who is your favorite guest of all time, then? That's a tough one. After me, obviously. That's a tough (laughs) question. Gosh. I don't know. Because I'm thinking best episode. Not like, like who made for the best episode, I think. Mm. So it's different than who was my favorite, right? What do you think, Josh? You got it. You got a name? I got a name. Do I actually have to pick one? <laughs> I do. I think Logan Mend was a hilarious episode because he, he, he was just throwing stuff out there and we were back and forth and he could take it like he was just laughing. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if he was my favorite because he had some stuff to say that was a little bit I don't know. Out there. Josh? I think for Sharp Cuts, the the early one we did with your dad and the Heesmeister got pretty heated when they told some old school stories. I think that was, I laughed a lot during that episode. Um, passing times, I can't really pick one. There's been so many good ones. There's been almost 200. That's, that's a nice fence you've got there. Garrett May was pretty good. Marquise was good. Uh, we just had Batty on. I don't know if you guys knew that. Batty was just on Passing Dimes. That was good. Gavin shared a lot of stories about contracts and stuff that I didn't know pro players go through. It's pretty, it's wild, wild west to play indoor volleyball. That's why everyone should just play beach carry. So the bottom line though is, is what everybody should do is go find us anywhere on passing dimes, podcast, sharp cuts on YouTube, sharp cuts, volleyball, hit that like button, subscribe, follow the podcast, rate the podcast. I heard that was important. Like give a five star, but give a rating, like give a review as well is super helpful. I think so. I don't know where it goes, but it's got to count for something, well, some sort of algorithm or uh, search. I'm function. trying to get the people to get go and review that. You're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. That's like asking who my favorite listener is, Garrett. My favorite listener is who's ever still listening right now. Nice. Thanks, everybody, <laughs> Which, you, for listening. If, <laughs> if you were to tell me there's 10 people, I can probably guess seven of them right now. <laughs> well, let's not do a call out at the end of every episode for who we think is still listening. Maybe that's no, an that's, incentive to get any. No, no. You know, we got to end the show. We got to end the show. Batty. They, they buy a pair of sunglasses, we'll give them a shout out. And also, Garrett, to your point, uh, Sarah received 54% of serves against Sarah and Mel this year. So she she was more important because she was targeted more. So I win then or? No, it's Mel. It's Mel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, Batty. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>